healthcare providers. Hello, hello. It is Kai Cheng, Tom, and Jordan Saito from Transforming Rounds, and we are here to bring you yet another episode of Trans Healthcare Brilliance. Yes. Um, this time about uh, sexual health. Yes. Ooh, I said it, sexual health. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, a really exciting episode for a lot of reasons, not just because we're talking about sexual health, which is a weird um, catch-22 subject with around trans healthcare because there's this, uh, this sort of like um, double bind that trans people are in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. around being over-sexualized and also there being like no information around uh, sexual health for, for trans people. Um, and so we did a couple of um, we did a couple of interesting things for this episode that I think are gonna make the conversation so full. Um, so we have um, firstly a lineup for you that is really more than in previous episodes mm-hmm. uh, loaded with community members. And why did we do that? Because really providers don't know how to address trans sexual health, like beyond telling us to reduce STI risk and telling us that we are, uh, you know, high risk individuals. Sure. Or, you know, telling us that we can start hormones, but our sex drive will become non-existent or, you know, will skyrocket, but not like having really real solutions for that. Yeah. Or like talking about what that means or what that looks like. Like, it seems like always it's either like the last thing on the list that people address if there's time or like, People don't want to talk, like providers don't want to talk about that. That that seems to be the pervasive experience with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we loaded the lineup with um, community members who in their own right are experts and doing yeah. community work in the yeah. areas of sexual health and sexual pleasure as well. Um, we're going to hear more about sexual pleasure in mm-hmm. um, a panel this episode, and I'm super excited for y'all to hear about that. It's also our first episode where we do something artsy and cool, okay. um, and we <laughs> have asked some amazing poets to do readings of their work for us um, on the topic of uh, trans folks in sex work and uh, and sexual health, so yeah, but, we, and they're yeah. and they're sexy. Some of them. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they, this is an yeah. exciting, sizzling hot episode. <laughs> of I wasn't going to go there, but yes, I guess I suppose I it mean, is. Said, <laughs> said, there. So, you know, um, one last note is that you know we we also really wanted to be intentional about including trans folks who were also sex workers and former yeah. sex workers in this episode. For sure. And you'll see that a lot of our guests are. Um, uh, we did this for, for a number of reasons. Firstly, because sex workers are frontline experts in sexuality and sexual health. And that Absolutely. probably comes off as a bit of a radical statement in um, the formal healthcare community. Mm-hmm. But truth be told, uh, trans folks are people who are disproportionately loaded into sex work, pushed into sex work because of discrimination in other employment fields, mm-hmm. and then um, asked by clients to service a vast range of sexual desires, sexual needs, sexual expectations, and so quickly have to become experts on yeah. personal sexual safety, on sexual exploration, on sexual technique, um, and all those sorts of things. Um, also because trans sex workers um, are repeatedly noted in medical anthropology and medical research as sites of infection, really, like yes. as these loaded, high-risk bodies that are dangerous to others. Um, but trans folks aren't seen as partners in knowledge creation around sexual health. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that you know, I, we, I, I would say we both think that's just a, a travesty, actually. 
Um, so in this podcast, we're really we're looking at trans folks as uh, patients, but also as experts. Yeah, and necessarily uh, so. Yeah. yeah, welcome to the radical episode four of Transforming Rounds. Ooh, let's do it. Hi, my name is um, Sakani Duckhouse. I'm a two-spirited trans person living in the Vancouver area. Well, as I was in and out of four different hospital emergency departments in the Vancouver area and Burnaby with a very severe and life-threatening condition, I was often was not able to think clearly or was too weak to do much. As I was in my moments of crisis and clarity, I often had to self-advocate as I often got misgendered and at one hospital was told that if I become aggressive, that I can be told to leave. So I often am faced with this narrative where unions and pretty much any huge system that has a lot of control over me are using policy and rules against me. Now I say against me because if I have to tell them over and over again not to misgender me, they at times laugh and say they do not understand or they just do not want to. I wish that they took the trans inclusion one-on-one that I or others are able to provide. This training has adopted the policy of respect, which basically means that you allow people to self-identify and affirm that identity as best you can. What I wish other trans and two-spirited sex workers knew about sexual health care was that they do not have to say that they are sex workers or even have to provide reasons for accessing STI and STD testing. Sometimes those questions may come across as invasive or even judgmental. Also that it it is not scary, depending on your location, there may be services that you can perform these tests in a confidential and private manner. I also wish that other trans and two-spirited folks knew that they do not need to take hormones or get surgeries in order to be affirmed in who they are inside their heart. Those can come later down the road or as soon as you feel ready. I also wish that doctors and healthcare providers had more funding for affirmative care options for trans and two-spirited folks. I say options because not everyone fits into a box. How we express our gender is not on a linear path. It is a spectrum. So the funding for affirmative care can be for makeup, clothing, binders, tuckers, gaffs. These material people-made things can affirm someone's identity and have tremendous positive mental changes. Changes that have a ripple effect on their entire being. Next up, we have some incredible poetry from poets Jazz, Jay, and Alec, who have written for the trailblazing anthology Hustling Verse, which represents more than 50 self-identified sex workers from all walks of the industry, survival and trade, past and present. Um, to explore their lived experience through the expressive nuance and beauty of poetry. In a variety of forms, ranging from lyrics to list poems to found poetry to hybrid works, these authors express themselves with complexity, agency, and honesty that sex workers are rarely afforded. Contributors from Canada, the U.S., Europe, and Asia include Gregory Schofield, Tracy Kwan, Summer Wright, and Akira the Hustler, as well as those you will hear in this episode of Transforming Rounds. As an antidote to the invasive and often biased media depictions of sex workers, Hustling Verse is a fiercely groundbreaking exploration of intimacy, transactional sex, identity, healing, and resilience. 
This anthology is edited by Amber Dawn, whom we have also to thank for her help in facilitating with bringing readings onto this episode, and Justin Ducharme. We are lucky to be able to preview poems from Hustling Verse in this episode, as the anthology itself isn't going to be available for purchase until fall of 2019. You can look for it on uh, the catalog or website of Arsenal Pulp Press. This is not mythology. Drowned, pickled men. I pick this treasure floating out of their bloated pockets and into my palm. Not whores, we are the Naridis, but you may also say goddess. Siren cackling with friends, pillowcase fights on slick rocks, sweetly licking salt off lips, kissing savory tongues. I relish this brine. Call me slick, mermaid girl. Three hundred dollars will get you wet when I soak myself, skip the flush, leave you sopping and slip out rich. Sure, we learned to walk on land, but it's just for show. Sure, sometimes my shins splint, splayed, cracked, and dry from friction. Still, walk till day's cashed, then stride back, slide through the silky skin of ocean, salt and supple muscles like woe. In chorus, girls, suck the sea like a fetish and spit, terra firma drenched, spit, man splatter, puffed and shattered, then ocean fall back to liquid seabed and rest. Hey, mermaid girl, with that wet slip shining siren slide of every girl with a $300 stride to dock. Godzilla, oh, Godzilla, oh, Godzilla, oh, Godzilla, oh. He asks if he can take me out. I say the new Godzilla movie just came out. He makes a joke about come, I laugh. Make a mental note to add popcorn to the deal. In 3D, I slip my hand in the loop of his waistband. Tease him out. Play the game. He's come once by the time the white man from Malcolm in the Middle dies 20 minutes in. Godzilla, oh. Godzilla, oh. Godzilla, oh. Godzilla, oh. He cries when Wanatabi's character says, let them fight. Not for the same reason as me. His ex-fiance stole his dog and moved to the Philippines. Playing therapist again, Godzilla roars in victory. This doesn't get easier, and he's no atomic breath. Godzilla, oh, Godzilla, oh. I sneak into out the back after. Wait 30 minutes. 
go back in and purchase another ticket to watch Godzilla alone. Oh, Godzilla. Ah. In the locker-lined hallways at school, we make out in front of everyone. We don't care who knows. We want the nuns to catch us at it. Other girls call us lezies, but I don't know what a lezie is. The word confuses me. Darla tells me to look up Sappho in the encyclopedia. The island of Lesbos sounds fantastic, but is that where I belong? Darla, well, she really loves the girls. It makes me sad because I can imagine Darla thriving in this sapphic paradise. Me, I'll never look good in a toga. Darla tells me that according to the ancestors, I am a sacred being, and she heard this from her grandmother. Back in the day, people like you were shamans, healers, teachers. Darla is blowing my mind. There is a Greek myth about this prophet who is both male and female, called Theresius, I tell Darla excitedly. You read the Greek myths? No, I don't. Too many stories about incense and rape, Darla tells me. I like grandmother's stories about animals. They were like our myths. Snake medicine is healing medicine. You must have noticed. The symbol for doctor. Two snakes wrapped around a staff. Shamans carry a staff, too. Healers have to know how to handle snakes, take the deadly poison, and turn it into medicine. Darla is the first girl I ever really fuck. Other girls at the public school think I'm a boy, freak out when they put their hands between my legs. Because I have a pussy, too. They don't want to be called Lizzie, like they do Darla. The way Darla calls me pussy boy makes me swallow hard, makes my loins tingle. She calls me a good pussy boy when I grind her. On her break from the biker bar where she works, she smokes us up and pulls me into her, her legs parted slightly, kissing me with those slick red lips of hers. We kiss until there's no lipstick left. I love kissing her soft, naked lips. I love kissing and grinding her. We're birds of a feather, you and me, Darla tells me. So no matter what happens, what you hear, we are birds of a feather. And that was a reading from my novella, Rough Paradise, that came out a few years ago. And thanks for having me on the show. My name is Leo. I'm a 37-year-old trans man. I live in Canada, British Columbia specifically. I started testosterone in November 2017. And about two to three months after starting testosterone, I stopped having my period. So about six months ago, I started spotting and was quite shocked. And I also had bad cramping and pain while orgasming. Uh, The doctor that I go to uh, has a pretty long wait, so I wouldn't have been able to see them for about two to three weeks. So I called the nurse's health hotline 
to see if what was happening to me was quite serious or not and if I should go to um, the hospital as opposed to wait two to three weeks to see my doctor. So when I called the nurse's health hotline in BC, I uh, spoke to the, the first nurse that answered and I asked if any nurses on staff at the time had more experience with trans folks. And um, the nurse indicated that they all had similar experience. So I proceeded to tell them what my symptoms were, uh, that I was a trans man and I was assigned female at birth. And as we're going through my symptoms, um, the nurse indicated that she had no choice but to um, proceed with me in the computer as, as female. So all of the questions after that were all directed to someone that would be a woman, uh, female, and um, we ended up finding out that the symptoms that I was having was they were not serious. Um, I didn't need to go to the hospital, um, but we did have a short conversation after the fact, and the nurse indicated that she felt actually quite awkward asking me these questions, and she felt that um, there should be another option for folks calling in that were um, transgender, um, not identifying as female but having symptoms um that a trans person assigned female at birth would have i agreed i told her i myself weren't that uncomfortable with the questions but i know other folks would be so um, the nurse indicated that she was going to actually um tell her supervisor uh, that uh, the you know the experience that we had and hopefully um put something into play or even start start the ball on on figuring out if there's other verbiage or other options with that they could input into these computers um and just uh on in regards to what had happened to me afterwards I did end up going to see my doctor and um had some ultrasounds and it turned out I did have some fibroids but uh, luckily they are no longer an issue um, and I'm no longer having cramping or spotting. I love this episode. So <laughs> just it feels really community hey like it, it has like it has a feeling that like I get from being in community space and like having these like intense community dialogues mm-hmm. with other trans folks. Well, basically I just realized that like trans people are actually the experts in sexual health. <laughs> yeah, definitely in our sexual health. And I, I have to say, I think everybody's in the no, sexual I'm just kidding. health of other people too. I really, um, and just that thing that um, folks were talking about on the panel where like the, the exciting thing about sexual health is actually sexual pleasure. Right. Um, like that's just a piece of, of wisdom that is missing from sexual health uh, care and sexual health education everywhere. Yeah, I think like it's totally. always it always seems to be about oh we need to prevent STIs and also prevent people from conceiving if they don't want to. Right. And where is the space to be like oh actually bodies can help yeah. us feel really bodies can feel really good and we we need to, we deserve to feel that good. It, it's, there's there's just, that's just so lacking and it, I love that that's something that came out in our episode. Yeah, and I feel like trans folks in a particular way often don't um, uh, don't get 
like get that messaging even even stronger around like you know this is just about STI prevention because our because of that that way that like our bodies are never um, seen as sites of pleasure. Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, I think about how many trans folks I've spoken to who have gone into transition related care uh-huh. and then had uh, you know various sexually sexual related issues like you know when you take estrogen your libido goes down. Right. Um, or like when you have uh, SRS, then suddenly your like sexual pleasure organs work really differently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what, yeah. what what do healthcare providers have to say about that? Usually nothing. Yeah. You're like, okay, I guess that's the sacrifice we have to make to be trans people is to right. not have healthy or happy sexual lives. Yeah. And I, I just don't believe that's true. Yeah. So thank God for all of these or thank something. What, what do we think besides God? <laughs> <laughs> we think the universe. I, I think uh-huh. trans folks who are creating community resources that was Uh, the other half of my sentence sorry (laughs) right thank thank (laughs) trans folks for those community resources yeah because yeah who else where else is that information going to come from i'm thinking particularly about that zine by mirabelle weather that was brought up on the panel fucking Fucking trans trans women women. which i think every trans woman over the age of 20 (laughs) on this planet has read um you know because it talks about how to have sexual pleasure and orgasms yeah Yeah. um in ways that a healthcare provider would never would never describe and would never know about never would be uncomfortable maybe just talking about totally um and this is why I really think, you know, we we, we want to encourage you out there who are, those of you out there who are healthcare providers, to think about the community knowledge that is created outside the medical establishment. Oh, yeah. To take a look at that zine, fucking trans women, to talk to trans folks, to see trans folks as experts and partners in creating better knowledge and better practices. Yeah, and even if you won't pick up the zine, fucking trans women, like... I, like acknowledge that for most of you in in the cities that you work in, I'll say at least for Toronto, like the people who created social services for trans people are trans sex workers. Like if you look back to where services started to become available, like that only happened because of the work of trans sex workers. And I don't say that abstractly, like that that literally is what happened. And so there's a there's a deep relationship there in terms of who are who are the people that are taking care, who are the people that are like you know, holding space for like the holistic realities of, of trans people. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Can, I'm thinking particularly about the 519. Yeah. Most of the trans related programs at the uh, 519, which is an LGBT community center in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, were started by one trans woman in particular. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. name her because I'm not sure how she feels <laughs> being named in public these days, but you know uh, who yeah, you are yeah. and everyone else hopefully knows who you are too. Um, and lastly, just, you know, on the note around sex work that to, to return to the fact that so many trans folks enter sex work or, you know, choose to enter sex work or feel pushed to to, to enter sex work because there aren't any better options. And, um, you know, as we're learning from from the poetry shared on this episode, sex work is so multifaceted and multilayered. Mm, and I yeah. really, well, something I really hope is that providers of healthcare and social services can step beyond the really one-dimensional narrative of victim victimhood that is so frequently attached to sex workers. Yeah, um, please, it's so old it's, and, and, and so boring. Unhelpful and, and quite so damaging. Uh, as we're seeing through through these poems, sex work can be transactional, it can be empowering, it can be disempowering, it can be a source of knowledge and growth, it can be a source of trauma and harm, much like any other job, I would oh. argue. I have been traumatized <laughs> and harmed in social work, I've grown and <laughs> moved through social work. Um, it's, 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 um, it's something that we need to have a more nuanced view on. Yeah. 
And, you know, on uh, all of those notes, actually, um, the the next person uh, on the podcast today is someone who is, I think, one of the real, what, what's the word, like a real uh, trailblazer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, area. she yeah. when I when I talked about how services were started in Toronto, like it was her that I, I actually thought of in, in a way. I mean, she wasn't alone, but she was certainly one of those people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so an incredible voice, um, incredible wisdom. Let's let's hear from Monica Forrester. Hello, happy healthcare providers. We are back with our cross-country panel. Um, And by cross-country, I mean we have uh, two amazing badass trans folks from Vancouver and one amazing badass trans person, well, from Halifax, but currently in Saskatchewan. Am I getting that right, Ariel? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, awesome. So... um, we are going to get you to introduce yourselves to our listeners, like, real quick. Maybe we can go from um, west to east. Um, so maybe let's start with uh, you, Calendria. Hi, folks. My name is Calendria. I'm an advocate in community and a former sex worker. And I'm so excited to participate in this panel. Thank you. Brenna? Um, hi, my name is Brenna. I'm a trans woman living in Vancouver, but originally from Nova Scotia, and very excited to see what everyone has to say about this. And Ariel? Hi, I'm Ariel. I'm an author, sex educator, and overall badass trans femme. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) Um, And I'm in Saskatchewan. Thank you. (laughs) So... Uh, as you know, today's episode is about sexual health care and sexual health. Um, but sexual health care is a really broad term. And I think even though often in queer and trans community, we assume everyone knows what that means. I actually don't know if I could explain what sexual health is. So I'm going to um, throw out a, a challenge to each of, of you um, to define sexual health in one sentence or less. And maybe we'll just... I don't know. Does anyone want to start with? <laughs> Does anyone want to start? Does anyone have like a pithy definition right off the top? Health about sex. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like sexual health is such a broad subject. It um, incorporates so many things. Um, so I don't think I can do that in like one. Yeah, second. don't worry. Maybe just like a what is sexual health? <laughs> Um, I think sexual health, um, for me specifically, and what I do within sex, um, sex education and sex health is um, like knowledge, knowledge about our bodies, giving the tools, um, and having those tools mm-hmm. that we have like autonomy over choices that we make about sexual sexual choices that we make. Amazing, uh, Brennan Calendria. Anything to add? Um. This is Brenna. I, I would actually leave it pretty self-directed to the client um, that it's healthcare related to um, what a patient self-identifies as having a impact or effect on their sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Calendria? Yeah, I think for me, 
as a trans woman of color, my own experience with accessing um, sex, sex health care, um, like what was said before, it's, it's really broad. And I think for me, it's about connecting to my physical understanding of what sex is, what my understanding of what good sex is, and then also having an understanding about um, the tools and the resources and, and how folks access um, supports when they're trying to get some um, healthcare related to um, their intimate relationship. So. Those are awesome definitions. And you know what the, the common thread that I am seeing is um, around autonomy. Um, folks having the ability to get tools and skills um, to create their own sexual health, uh, se- sexual health experiences. Um, so what really excites you? And I'm going to maybe start with uh, Calendria for this one. What, what excites you about the work you're doing um, or in the field of sexual health right now? I think for myself, what really excites me is this idea of consultation and um, the notion of researchers and even clinics um, wanting to get um, some voices heard in, in terms of um, building services that are geared towards trans, non-binary, and two-spirit folks. Mm-hmm. I think on a, a community level, that it's really going to help feel folks feel like you had mentioned um, that they have some autonomy and agency over the choices that they're making. And particularly for those in the sex economy, it's really going to help folks um, feel a little bit more um, tied to their understanding of um, what safe sex is if they have ability to um, negotiate that in their work. And so for Mm -hmm. me, what excites me the most is this... um, uh, rebranding of what it means to have good um, sexual health. Mm, love Ooh. it. Snaps to that. Yes. Um, Ariel, what, what ex- what's exciting you right now about sexual health? Um, yeah, as like a, someone who isn't like a healthcare professional, but is like a sex educator who works with universities and like young people a lot. Um, I, I find it really exciting talking about um, sex and relationships with youth. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really exciting. I, I, normally, I would just say sex toys, but that's, you know. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've just been working with a lot of youth lately, specifically like Indigenous youth, mm. um, and I always expect them to know less. But then they surprise you. (laughs) Really exciting to me. That is super cool. And what what's exciting you, Brenna? Um, I think maybe I'm a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Um, That is okay. We're here for it. Yeah, make Um, it real. I think a lot of my work is around um, identifying, you know, sort of the gaps in what's happening. So often I'm sort of just leaving as things are getting excited, exciting around mm. um, But what I, I will say is that I think that there is a real curiosity in the consciousness of, you know, the people that hold power to um, have influence over um, healthcare mm-hmm. systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that there's a whole lot of movement yet, although, mm-hmm. you know, 
when I think back to like what things looked like when I was 15, there has been movement. Um, it's just perhaps not as much as I would have liked to have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I am excited about is that there is a dialogue happening right now and there is a curiosity right now. Um, and although I don't necessarily know that we're at, you know, implementation of um, some of those strategies that would really have, you know, huge impacts on, you know, the overall lives, but certainly the sexual Mm -hmm. lives of trans people, um, that there is definitely opportunity. Well, I really yeah, want to follow. We're talking about it. Yeah, yeah I, I really yeah. want to follow up on that. Like, what what are some of those sexual uh, those sexual health strategies that could be available to trans folks? Um. So I think you know. Um, I think right now there is a real lack of trans people in positions to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That um, there's a lack of representation of trans people in, you know, sexual health initiatives. Um, in you know, clinical settings, there's not enough trans people in positions um, to be decision makers over um, things that will impact our own health. Like mm-hmm. we're still not given the opportunity to make choices about our own lives mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. much as I would like for us to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that systemically, um, in order for that to change, um, it's bigger than just sexual health. It's about looking at hiring practices. Mm -hmm. And if your jobs aren't accessible to trans people, then your organization isn't accessible to trans people. Well said. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also think in terms of research, you know, trans people have been accessing healthcare for quite a long time now for there to be <laughs> such an absence of concrete data on, you know, what, an, what you know, normal, um, what a normal um, swab of a trans feminine post-op vagina should look like. Absolutely. You think it's almost intentional or something. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so little data that, you know, we're having all of these discussions about educating healthcare providers, but mm. at the end of the day, our medication is still off-label um, yeah. in, yeah. it, in the way that we're using it. To, um, and most of our surgeries and healthcare needs are not studied. So yeah. most of the doctors that are considered experts in this field who are mostly cis people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are still, you know, speaking from an anecdotal um, experience. Like a case study. Well said. Well, that really builds on the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I think, you know, those are things where I think that there's like a curiosity. Um, We've got a huge amount of data around, you know, prevalence of HIV transmission um, for trans people, but we have very little data about, you know, effective strategies for prevention Um, because, you know, it's not being trans that's causing this increased rate of transmission. Mm -hmm. Um, So why is there such a huge amount of biomedical research on, you know, disease tracking and not, you know, the you know, social um, yep. studies, you know, being done on how to, you know, effectively decrease those barriers for trans folks. For sure. um, you know, 
So those are the things that like, you know, being a Debbie Downer, I kind of still see, Hmm. you know, that we're still at the beginning. And if I was a little bit less jaded, I would find that exciting because that means that we can recreate things. Um, But I, but I'm also a person that's, you know, doing the community engagement with patients that are unfortunately walking into clinics and finding out that their doctors don't know how to effectively work with them as patients and patients that are coming to educate their doctors. Yeah. I want to pick up on that. And I I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on this as well. There, the, usually this panel is like a panel for healthcare providers. And when we were thinking about this episode, we were like, actually healthcare providers don't do this work. Not, well no, at all really not. and what we need to hear from our our, our folks like you um and um uh like part of that in my in my very limited experience of working with healthcare providers across ontario um is that when we we're talking about primary care access to you know hormones like really opening up access so that people were able to get that support in their communities there were never conversations about sexual health and people like trans people would call me all the time and be like you know i started hormones and this is happening and nobody knew like there was no information about that like it was so basic like if you start estrogen then your libido drops but there's no there was no context like there was no it was just so limited and so I'm curious to hear from you all like what would you like what information would you share with trans folks um, around uh, the connection between sexual health and, and being on hormones like what's information that you wish you had that you didn't have when you started <laughs> i would i would talk about like pleasure more yeah mm-hmm. um, so my sex my background in sex education is around like pleasure based mm-hmm. so um yeah i would talk more about like pleasure i would talk more about sex toys i would talk more about like here are ways to have orgasms um if you're someone with a penis who can't get an erection anymore Absolutely. Um, just like things like that. Like your body is going to change. Um, here are like the, the sex toys that work. Here are like different um, things that work for different people. I really love the zine um, fucking trans women. Yes. Mira Bellwether. So we'll put that in the show notes for you for listeners. For sure we will. Because um, it taught me how to like mop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you briefly just like, like, explain what muffing is for our listeners? I can do it too if, if it's more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, uh, muffing is when you basically finger someone's um, inguina gland. Um, they're like where your um, testicles drop from in the inside of your body. Also, if you're like a drag queen, when you're um, tucking, or like not just drag queens, but like people who tuck. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you push your body back inside of yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can actually finger that part of your body. Um, It can be up to eight inches long, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it takes a lot of work. I always suggest doing it in a bathtub because your body is more relaxed in warm water. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can kind of like get in there a little better. Um, and always be careful. You don't want to go too fast um, because if you tear, it can cause... It can cause a hernia? Yes. That, that, yeah, that sounds hernia. like the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that. See, this is information we need. This is how I, we know you're a sex educator, Ariel, because you just educated us. Calendria, uh, uh, what, what what are you thinking about what, what we're talking about so far? I I think for me, there's often this myth when you start hormones that your sex drive changes mm-hmm. and it decreases, and there's all this um, talk about a, a decrease. And if you still, you know, you need some help in that area, there's an, another drug that you can take, but yep. Um, in my own experience, that didn't happen. Mm. It, it stayed the same, but it also uh, in, intensified in a different way. And um, along with the struggles of transitioning and um, engaging in the sex economy, that it um, intensified in some ways, but it most definitely changed. And that um, now, as I think back, not as I think back, excuse me, let me say that again. Now that I um, am in a different phase of my life, in my 30s, and um, entering into a new way of dating, that it's um, more based on um, connection, and that so much of my sexual health now is um, tied to um, the need to... um, connect with someone on a deeper level mm-hmm. um, than just a sexual one. And that um, mm-hmm. so much of my experiences, whether it was in the sex economy or even when I wasn't, it was solely based on my body and my looks and um, how trans-attracted men have a tendency to not only fetishize us, but also um, uh, prey mm-hmm. upon us for reasons that have been, uh, how do I say, um, told in the media, mm-hmm. and that now I'm so much combating on both sides. Is it about connection? Is it about debunking some of these stereotypes? Mm-hmm. Is it about my own understanding of what I mean now in terms of my own sexual health? So. <laughs> It has been a, a tough path to navigate, but it has also been a lot of restructuring and my understanding of um, what it means to be sexual in this phase of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm hearing and from... In, mm-hmm. Sorry, go bye. ahead. <laughs> and then in terms of community, you know, again, like, um, I think that so many folks are in different um, parts of their journey and that it, it, I think that practitioners really have to have an understanding that um, trans folks, some of us are engaged and have healthy um, sexual relationships, but some of us are really traumatized by Mm -hmm. the whole idea of being sexual with someone and letting someone in. And so there definitely Mm -hmm. has to be a balance. And then to go off that piece about tucking, you know, there's a high prevalence of UTI in us who are um, pre-op and that, you know, the the literature that exists right now in terms of um, UTI prevalence and um, STIs and there's a little bit of confusion and murky water with that and Mm -hmm. how practitioners are able to navigate those conversations that, um, you know, I've only had that happen once for me and I haven't heard from anyone else in um, community. And so, um, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I'm hearing is 
we need more research and that it's it, things can be really different for everyone. And also especially that uh, sex workers and uh, sex trade workers need to be included in these discussions. Um, I'm so sad to have to wrap up this panel because it's uh, yes. so interesting, but we are already out of time. Ah! I, know. I feel like we could, yeah, we could talk forever. Forever. Uh, I feel like we should end on just one last question to sort of wrap it all up. And so this is going to be very, a very quick go around. And the note that I have here is what is your transsexual health battle cry? And by that, I just mean like, what are the like three words that you would use to describe your approach or what's important or like, you know, whatever you use as you're like rushing into the, I'm trying to come up with a description here, <laughs> but you get what I mean. Uh, so we'll just do a quick round, whoever wants to go in. Um, yeah, I just like pleasure-based education. Nice. nice. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> pleasure-based education. Brenna? Redefine meaningful inclusion. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. And Kalendia? Invigorate the approach. All right. I love it. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. So that is the end of our panel. Really, unfortunately, now I just want to hang out with y'all and, and talk about this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Okay, well, my name's Monica Forrester. I'm a trans, two-spirit trans woman of color. Uh, born and raised in Toronto. I'm, um, I work in community services for the last 20 years, specifically working around trans issues, trans rights, uh, human rights, uh, healthcare, homelessness, and sex workers. I was in the sex industry for 30 years, and I currently am a program manager at Maggie's Toronto, working with different populations, including trans women of all different diversities and cultures. Yeah, so I got started in community services actually as a peer. So I was actually, I applied for a job at the 519 Community Center. Uh, They're looking for someone to do outreach in the trans sex work community in the downtown inside. Um, And as a, you know, being out at that time for about 15 years, I felt it was important for me to be a part of that, Um, seeing so much um, premature deaths, and stigma and discrimination that a lot of uh, more trans women of color sex workers experiencing. But I felt this was a time for me to actually be, to bring a voice to the community, but also do some outreach in the community that they felt that they they were being supported and to snowball from there to, for bigger and better things for the trans community to come. So like uh, addressing healthcare and homelessness and safe spaces and shelters and and yeah and it's still going today the shift i've seen over the last it's been about 20 years um there was never there wasn't a trans space for um trans uh, people at the time in 1998 99 98 uh, there was sos but it wasn't specific to trans people it's for basically street people but um since uh, 519 kind of, you know, we kind of were highlighted um, in Extra Magazine and across the city, um, you know, then we started seeing more services popping up like um, 
story for you that uh, Sherburn Health and uh, agencies were, you know, um, starting their own programs for trans people of color, uh, black cops, and and then uh, Maggie's has always been inclusive, and then Maggie's had their own trans program drop in. So I think, you know, the, the awareness was there, but I think it all started with uh, the, mur- the murders in 1997 where uh, two trans uh, women uh, that were sex workers were murdered. And there was, um, you know, I think an outcry within the community that, you know, we needed support and we needed a safe space to, you know, that uh, trans people can actually engage and feel safe and, you know, access services. So that's where I felt um, everything started. And, you know, and today we're flourished in so many areas of our city and different capacities and different age groups. And, you know, so... A lot has actually come out of just um, the starting of the 519's uh, drop-in program. So trans women that I, um, what, what has really um, inputted me, I think when I think about all the trans people that have died prematurely from HIV and AIDS, uh, or just being homeless, or, you know, or just the basic health care that, most people we take for granted for is that a lot of trans people were not getting those services due to being trans, being stigmatized, um, and if they identified as sex workers, they're being scrutinized and discriminated against and and over policed. I think you know that's something I experienced when I came out to my doctor. When I was a sex worker. I felt like they were always pushing me to you know, oh well, you need to be checked for this and that and this and. You know, so there was a lot of stigma attached to identifying not only as a trans woman or a trans person, but also as a sex worker, uh, that we were the highest risk, that we needed to be, you know, um, you know, the scope was a lot higher for us. And, you know, I just, and it still is today, I, you know, and I think that's some of the issues that a lot of trans sex workers specifically experience is that they don't want to go to health care because of, the scrutiny they they experience through healthcare providers. Well, I think, you know, we have to break these ideas, especially that that trans women are over-sexualized. You know, I think anyone in our society are sexual beings. Uh, They need to um, stop targeting trans people, that, you know, that that they're high risk or, you know, um, especially when they're sex workers. um, We've got to break those myths that sex workers work unsafely and, you know, the the cause of, um, you know, the transmission of HIV and STIs. And and that's still, we see that broadly today with, like, just a sex worker in general, when they out themselves to the physicians around their work, that they're always looked at as um, these deviant people that um, are not um, taking care of themselves or, you know, that they... They're, they have to be checked con- continuously because of the work that they are doing. So, you know, we, Maggie's and another, a lot of other uh, trans-Pacific services are actually getting out there and educating uh, healthcare providers around these kind of ideas and trying to break these these ide- break these um, ideas that they have. But it's still going on, right? So I think we need to change it on many different levels. Um, you know, and uh, that sex is sex, and you know that um, you know it's no different if you're paying for it, if you're doing it 
sometimes really for free or, you know what I mean, with a partner or someone you meet in a bar. Okay, so uh, Maggie's is actually, because I work, my, a lot of my work is around sex work. Um, so um, we actually partnership up with the Sherburn Health Center and their, their Sherburn Best. Because this is some of the issues that we're seeing in, in our, as, you know, with our service users, that a lot of them weren't going to the doctors for basic urinary tract infections. Or even if they had STIs or, you know, or um, if they were using and, you know, were fearing of hep C or HIV, that they were just ignoring these things because of the stigma they were facing. So we uh, worked uh, continuously with Sherman Health, and we have now a bus that comes out uh, well, twice a month to Maggie's where people, you know, they've kind of revamped their, their new bus that it's like a little doctor's office and they can do blood work and x-rays and, you know, so it's actually, and they've really kind of really taken the time with the community to get to know them, engage with them and to build trust. I think we need to build trust with people that are more racialized or marginalized in the trans community that they won't feel ostracized when they're, or feel like they're being targeted when they're maybe just engaging around sex work or maybe not using uh, safe sex for certain sexual acts or and not feeling like they're doing something wrong, right? So um, it's really been working well. We're seeing such a great uh, response and turnover and, you know, and even the service users are really saying, are waiting. You know, we have people, like numerous people waiting for them every other week. So, you know, I, it's about bridging these gaps and and really getting out there with, um, you know, healthcare providers to break some of those ideas down and how we can support people and, you know, be sensitive to, you know, certain groups of our community that really need us. So the criminalization uh, for sex workers in new C36 is, you know, um, really uh, putting sex workers in a very vulnerable situation because um, with this new bill, it's kind of, it's similar to the old uh, uh, sex work laws. Uh, it's just it's been rewritten in a different way, the Exploited Persons Act. But it's, uh, it's also, uh, we're seeing the same effects, right? So sex workers are, you know, um, don't have the time to engage with clients around, around safe sex or discussions around what kind of sex they're doing. You know, so put sex workers in a situation where, you know, some clients may not want to use condoms or, you know, and, and for a lot of sex workers, especially more street-based workers, uh, you know, and, and the policing that's happening on our streets really put sex workers in a place where they're, gonna, they're most likely to have practice on safe sex because they, first, they need the money, secondly, because they weren't able to negotiate uh, the, the sex that they were having with their clients, and thirdly, because um, financially needing that money to survive. So, you know, we're, we're, we're lobbying more. Uh, we're just, you know, we're working across the country with different sex work-led agencies and how we can repeal these laws. We've been working hard with the Liberal government, but they haven't budged. They did say they were going to, you know, discuss this when they got elected. Uh, and, you know, he's coming at the end of his term. So we're, 
We're just gathering a lot of information right now for another, you know, another court challenge, you know, which hopefully, you know, will happen within the next couple of years. But we're also being actually dealing with a lot of the trafficking initiative now. So a lot of sex workers are now being targeted uh, that we're all trafficked and, you know, they're, they're being silenced about the work they're doing uh, and puts them once again in a more vulnerable place where they go underground and, you know, and it's hard for people like myself to actually get out there and do outreach in those communities and a lot of my peers that I supervise to work with community when uh, they're isolated in different areas of our city or gone underground to do the work they're doing. So, you know, the laws have really been detrimental for sex workers and, you know, and we're just now trying to see how we can repeal those laws and um, make sure we have enough uh, evidence uh, to say that these laws are not working. So. But the change we want to see in the world is that everyone in society is treated equally, regardless of how they self-identify, how they look, what work they do, and how, how they uh, present themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Just like every episode, we just get to the end, and I feel so full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I am relatively new to Toronto, and I hadn't mm-hmm. heard of Monica Forrester until I did <gasps> two years ago. But then, really quickly, was like, oh, this is this is the one because there right. there's a there's one or a few in every city. Right. Um, <laughs> You could probably speak more to that. <laughs> like what, what, oh, just to the depth of what Monica Forrester has done. Yeah, I mean, I've known, just from my own little perspective, I've known Monica ever since I like arrived as like a young, <laughs> sort of like feral <laughs> trans teenager and, and uh, you know, sort of um, approaching the services that were available at the time. And Monica was already a sort of like established presence. Um and I think what often, like the work that she has done over the last decades is often mm-hmm. the work that never gets talked about mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being so fundamental, not just to sexual health, but to like like the, the entire health of a person. Um, like people in the community call her mama, call her mom. Um, and she has literally provided care for like a whole community of people. Absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, the, the connection to... I mean, sexual health care, we could also say the connection to social services, like mm-hmm. is, is that Monica and, and trans women like Monica are there for the community yeah. um, when no doctor or community nurse right. or social worker ever would be. Right. Those women are there, whether or not they're getting paid, whether... And they often are not. not usually <laughs> not. not. Definitely not for the number of hours anyway. Yeah. Um, and and they know everything, right? Like I, I had my own like experience of a trans mama figure, right. uh, you know, in different cities, and um, and these are women too who you know quite frequently don't have um, advanced uh, degrees and, and are not are not going to be recognized as experts or right. providers even as as healthcare providers in um, informal institutional circles. And I think that's such a shame. You know, if the theme of this episode, beyond sexual health, of course, has Mm -hmm. been uh, that community 
members are experts and that um, expertise and best practice frequently come from the grassroots rather than from the tower, Mm -hmm. uh, ivory or medical or whatever. Um, (laughs) Whatever that tower may be. (laughs) The scary tower. Um, (laughs) If if that's the theme, then, you know, I think I think Monica embodies that. And uh, I, I hope that's something that listeners take away from today. Oof. Yeah. So here we are at the end of episode four. Yeah. We're going to do our usual thanks. So Thank you. Thanks to all of our amazing guests, to Calendria and Brenna and Ariel from the panel. To Jazz, Jay, and Alec for the beautiful poetry. I know, so good. Oh, mm. We didn't talk enough about that. And of course to Monica for the Community Spotlight. Um, remember to check out uh, the show notes from this episode as well for some interesting links. Uh, we talked about this zine fucking trans woman a million mm-hmm. times we and we will link to it. <laughs> yes. um, you should buy it so that so that the author uh, makes money off it. Paid, yeah. yeah, gets paid for, for her incredible work. Um, other interesting links and research will, will be there. Um, thank you as well, of course, to the amazing, essential, incomparable Sampath, <laughs> yes. our producer, yep. and to Rob Trevisan, our technical producer. To our researchers, Jen Deirdrich and Catherine Allwright. To Chris Polly for the music yep for and the institute for gender and health and of uh, cihr for the monies and uh my own thank you to tillman lewis Thanks also to you, our amazing listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. We have one last episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Yeah, don't don't miss our last episode. It is going to be epic. It will be epic. Um, yeah. So you know, stay tuned. Stay with us. Thanks so much. See you next time. <laughs>